Good morning! This is Rob Paulson, a.k.a. Yakko Warner, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Hey, God, and good morning! This is Pinky, the real star of Pinky and the Brain. You are listening to Too Much Scrolling, which is exactly what Brain and I listen to. I'll see you in the future. Nerve. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for February 6th, 2024. I'm your host, Steve Foder. And I'm a mime, Chip Hessenflow. See, people are probably wondering why we're dressed in French, uh, uh, French clowns, you know, with our striped shirts and our uh, white uh, face masks. Is that the explanation for why I sound like I'm inside of a duck? Well, exactly, Steve. We're we're going to do this entire show as mimes <laughs> inside of a duck. <laughs> yes, I have once again lost my voice. Welcome to the radio show where you get to listen to this for forty minutes. Uh, we'll make it fun. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Tell us about your movies, Chip. All right. So we've got our first movie. is She is Conan, Steve, which is a French avant-garde film. Black oh, and oh, French. Based on Robert E. Howard's 1932 character, Conan the Barbarian, Steve. Our bit- film is in black and white. And moves from one scene to another as age passes through kisses of Conan to the next Conan. Um, yeah, it is. Um, this film is strange, and um, if you like strange films, yeah, I think you'll 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 like this. If you like the art house feel and want to smoke cigarettes and watch films and drink wine, this would be the perfect one for you. She she is Conan. Let's say fifty five out of one hundred. It truly is. As strange as I made it sound. it's. I think it's stranger than you made it sound. I think you're being very gentle to your review of this strange French film. And it, it does play like a play. There you go. Play like a play. Um, and, but, I mean, it's, it's very avant-garde. What can I say? Let's go to our next film of this week. Steve, I got to see a preview of Argyle. Um, it stars Bryce Dallas Howard. Some people know her as Opie Cunningham's uh, daughter. <laughs> I know her as Clint Howard's niece. <laughs> oh, oh, of course. Of course you do, Steve. Of course. So- Ice Cream Man is the film that I think of when I think of Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> so this has Ro- uh, Sam Rockwell in it, Steve. He, he plays oh. Guy. He plays Guy. <laughs> Love, <No. laughs> Sam Rockwell. Love him. And Richard E. Grant is in this one. Of course, of course. All right, so there's a few things you should know about it. If you would like a film that we want to go to the movie theater, we want to have a light, fun action and adventure with some comedy, um, I think you you found your, um, your, your story. You're not breaking any new ground in this story. We've had so, comedy spy thrillers before. This one is about a novelist. That's right. So Bryce Dallas Howard plays, I, I would say, like a J.K. Rowling. And instead of a Harry Potter character, she's invented a spy. Kind of like 007. 
that okay. type of uh, spy. Okay. And they're going to go on adventures together. Um, I won't give away all the story because that's kind of the enjoy enjoyment of it. Um, we do have Harry Cavill in this. John Cena is in this. They play superheroes. They do it all right. Everything's beautiful. There was something about this film that I did notice, and I was trying to find the words to describe it. I'll say Avatar-like, Uncanny Valley-like. There seems to be a lot of use of green screen, green clothing, whatever it is. There's something about this that is just not Hollywood. Um, and there's just a unique look to it. Um, it is farcical. I mean, Sam Rockwell and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, they do a backflip and it turns into a heart. So that is part of this. And I, this is beyond that. Okay. It's beyond the the silliness of being in these gunfights that somehow they never get grazed. But, you know, whatever it is. But there's a cat. So you got that going for you. Well, that's the humor part, Steve. Every uh, movie needs humor. Um, the person next to me is a was a person who had seen a lot of films, too. And uh, we were talking about it real briefly. And she said, oh, about 30 minutes too long. And I'll agree with her. This yeah. movie is two hours long, in my opinion, sitting down there, estimating it, whatever. But it, it seems to be about maybe a half hour too long. And they, they could have wrapped this up. And not written by Taylor Swift. That was the that was the thinking behind the novel was that this author was actually Taylor Swift with a pen name uh, came out this week. It is not Taylor Swift. It was two women, one from Australia and one from Britain that wrote this story. There is a uh, an end scene that kind of wraps it into the Kingsman universe. Mm -hmm. If you want to stay around and watch that from the director of the Kingsman. Yes, sir. So for Argyle, I'll say 55 out of a hundred. So our final movie was one of the final movies. I think I've got two more movies from 2023 that I didn't see that could be up for awards. Um, but it's Saltburn. And Saltburn was released in the theater. It was one of those films that when I went to the theater to watch a film that was there, and I always kind of overlooked it. Like, I should watch this. But there was something that I was either the timing of it or more pressing to watch. So I finally got to watch that. This is a story of two students at Oxford University who meet each other. One seems to be from a, a very modest background, maybe a more challenged background. Uh, and the other one seems to be truly lives a magical life, almost like living in a kingdom, Steve. I, uh, they're not royalty, but the house that they go and visit during the holiday is like this incredible garden and any number of things. All sorts of strange things happen while they're there. And what I mean by strange things, very sexual things, um, very, um, well, just odd things. It's, it's an odd family who really is not living that much of an odd life. I mean, they watch movies. Um, they, uh, they eat dinner, but they have to dress for dinner. You know, put on your, uh, your bow tie for dinner. <laughs> this is all you know, interest. It's, it's eccentric in this environment. And then there's a number of things that are uncovered and a number of events that happen that kind of um, lead to themselves. Uh, and I will say a uh, 60 out of a hundred for this movie. It certainly is interesting, but you know, not, not a great film. And Richard E. Grant is in this one. So you've got two Richard E. Grant films this week. 
How special. You know, one of the joys we have with our program is every once in a while we get to go to live events. So let's go to Adventure in a Black Box and let's learn about Animaniacs in concert, Steve. Tell us a little bit about where you saw this and how this plays out. Guess who loves cartoons and live theater, Chip? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It was made for Steve. The Animaniacs in concert, Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche, the voices of the Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, came to Schomburg with their pianist, Randy Rogel, this week. And yes, Steve and our listener, Dan, and uh, one of my friends from school, we went and we saw the, this is a joyous two hour presentation of all of the fantastic music from the Animaniacs TV show. Randy Rogel, who is the composer of all of that fantastic music is out there playing the piano, playing his heart out while Rob Paulson is standing next to the piano, smiling his, his adorable smile and giving us all of the joy, all of the emotion of all of these songs from the Animaniacs. My wife and I enjoyed this to no end. She and I, we scheduled our college classes around the Animaniacs in the early 1990s. And every- oh, this was made for you, wasn't it? Absolutely. Every time I see Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche, I tell them that story and they are just overjoyed to hear how much absolute emotion these stories and these songs brought to us. The full orchestra music in the Animaniacs is so well represented when Randy Rogel is just playing the piano on stage with Rob Paulson and and Maurice LaMarche. And for those of you who are not familiar with Animaniacs, Steven Spielberg, when he, everything was just kind of going well for him, not that it's not going well now, expanded and wanted to create the joy of Looney Tunes for a modern audience of that time. Um, In the late 1900s, yes. (laughs) And so it it really was a, uh, you know, as, as Disney had their renaissance of princess movies, this was the renaissance of ultimately would become television uh, shorts. Yeah. The Warner brothers cartoons, those Looney Tunes cartoons were, were the cartoon for so long in my life. Yes. There was Mickey mouse. Mickey mouse was certainly a different genre from bugs bunny and the animaniacs really cornered the market on that nostalgia, adding to it all of the joy of that era with the animaniacs. Well, at that point, Mickey Mouse had become like a corporate icon. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really much he was going to to do with that. I was thinking more along the lines of uh, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, yeah. and uh, Aladdin of that time, this sort of renaissance that they had uh, of motion picture and bringing Broadway into those, um, uh, or at least style of music into those types of films. Animaniacs was, we've got these Looney Tunes, we've got, I don't know, Speedy Gonzalez and Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig. Um, but they created different um, characters for Animaniacs. With like, um, I don't know, these two characters, Pinky and the Brain, right? 
with a lot of sarcasm aimed directly at Gen X and possibly the children of Gen X. But yes, I love the Animaniacs. I love seeing these guys. I love interacting with them. I see them all the time at all the conventions. Uh, Rob Paulson is just a joy to communicate with. Uh, I read his book a couple of times. The The thing that I kept thinking during the performance was this is a man who recently got through throat cancer. He survived throat cancer and he's on stage singing his heart out for two hours with so much joy. And then of course, what happens? I, I get a sore throat. <laughs> <laughs> so you watch this in Schomburg yep. at the, um, Prairie View was it? Sorry. it at the Prairie Center for the Arts. Just a small enough venue, big enough venue, a small enough stage. It was the perfect size for a guy playing the piano and two other guys with microphones singing their hearts out. And if you like that or find interest in that, here in the Triangle in the Raleigh area, the Clayton Center has this performance on February 9th on a Friday at seven thirty. You can find the the link in our notes. And uh, actually, I sent this to some friends of mine about a month or two ago saying, you know, anybody have any interest in seeing this? And uh, Steve, uh, no one replied. <laughs> well, the good news, Chip, is if you go to the Clayton Center to see Animaniacs in concert, you're going to see Jackson Munden there. Jackson Munden is one of our listeners who will be at that performance and will be singing his little heart out with Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche. I, I suggest this to everybody that has any kind of connection to stage, music, piano playing, singing. It's just joyous. Even if you don't have any real direct connection to the Animaniacs, these voice actors have been in something that you've seen, even if it's just the Lexus commercials. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. <laughs> yeah. Time to time to save the cat, Chip. You've read a book called Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need. This is published in 2005 by Blake Snyder. That's right. Somehow this was on my list to read. And I decided that as I was running the Krispy Kreme challenge, Steve, I would finish this book. I'm reading another book that's much, much longer. Uh, but this one is um, a really a very helpful book because I don't know about you, Steve, but um, I watch a lot of films. Yes you, <laughs> yes, you do know about me. And yes, you do watch a lot of films. And because I watch a lot of films, there's a structure to film, Steve. And by reading a book on how to write movies, um, you get better you get better understanding of of how they are designed, how the beats work, how you why some films work and other ones struggle to work, where a, a, a film goes awry. Um, and this book is incredibly gifted at setting you up with the idea that if you want to be a screenwriter, that you absolutely could do it. So Blake Snyder has written a, a number of films that you'd be familiar with. He has brought in many times to help take a concept uh, and then tighten up a screenplay too, so that they can film it. His first rule is you do not write a screenplay. Mm. Don't write a screenplay. 
Your first, you need to come up with a pitch to begin your journey and you need to test your pitch. So that was incredibly enlightening. He goes, don't waste your energy writing a screenplay that nobody has any interest in. Your first thing, you're in Hollywood, right? You want to be commercially successful. Writing your passion project because you enjoy writing it may sound like a lot of fun, but it's a lot of wasted effort because you need to have your hook and the way you know that you have a movie that people want to see is you need to be able to say it in a single sentence. And they go, oh, yeah, I'd like to learn more about that. So, you know, a visit to um, a fantastic Jurassic Park, you know, with dinosaurs. That sounds pretty interesting. That's great. Um, and that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, from there, um, once you found your your hook, what why people would want to go see your story, and they've agreed to like that sounds interesting, and you 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 could test that in a coffee shop, uh, among your friends, you know, your friends you got to be careful with. They'll just say that sounds great. What you really want is the general audience, not necessarily your particular. You know, we've got this incredible deep knowledge of this particular subject. We've got this great podcast, everybody. You should come and listen to it. And all of my friends go, oh, yes, good idea. That's right. The two white guys, <laughs> middle-aged white guys, Never breaking been barriers. Before. They have a podcast. Never been and this is, that's, that's That's our hook. That's our hook right there. Like, oh, tell us more. Tell us more. We have opinions. That's right. I bet they sit around and talk about things, right? Yes. They, th they had little self-importance there. Yeah, right. Of course, of course. That sounds fascinating. Let's let's have a, let's have ninety minutes of that. <laughs> well, once you get your your hook, at that point, there is a structure to putting together a movie, and a lot of it could be putting things on uh, little note cards. There's beats that you want to have. A script could be, say, 125 pages long. In that, by page 25, this needs to happen. On this, by 50, this needs to happen. By 75, this needs to happen. When do you introduce the secondary story? When do you, um, you know, how do you introduce the movie? How, um, once you get your skeleton down and you st start having your, you know, why this uh, scene is important, what, you know, can you combine this scene with this other scene, what the beats are. At that point, you can start refining it and you can start figuring out why something's not working. Like maybe you can't figure out the ending or maybe you can't figure out the, whatever the twist is or whatever it is that you don't have to have all that. You have to write your little bit um, to, to get from one part of the movie to another. And a screen doctor, when they come in and look at it, what they're looking for is to identify where the film doesn't move forward. You know, is your lead just kind of observing the entire story? No, no, no. They need to drive the story. They provide the insight. That person is the person who is, you know, makes the aha moment, moves us through the, the story. And as the story moves forward, um, it speeds up, it escalates. The, the you know when do you drop off your mentor as part of the movie and you become your own person to to finish up our story why is this important you know messaging and all that other fun stuff this is an exploration of how to put together a screenplay for a movie and what you can't help doing 
uh, when when uh, reading this is thinking about maybe your movie that you would like to do. And I thought of like, that was the entire time. I was like, oh, if I was going to write a movie today, this would be what would, I would think about. But the other part that's real important is you can use it in your industry. Like every part, if Steve's a teacher, every part of his 45 minutes with his students could become a beat. And they have to. That, that is the that is the best way to be a successful storyteller is to have that structure in mind in order to do it. I am a performance artist when it comes to teaching. I have to be thinking about those beats and the way that I'm performing that for my students. Not not everybody looks like a, a Vegas guy in his tux, but Steve, when he's performing for his students, I did wear my fancy. I did wear my fancy red tux for the Animaniacs in concert. Yes, sir. A little little song and dance. Everyone loves a little tap dance in the middle of it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, a fascinating book. He divides uh, the genres into ten different genres. He invites you that if you have different insights that you want, you want to challenge his idea. Email him. He goes, email me. I will fight you for this. He goes, all oh, Richard Marks on you. He was, he's, um, if you don't know Richard Marks, um, a DJ in Chicago questioned his manlyhood about his, um, his songs. And Richard March called him up and threatened to fight him. Like, I will meet you outside the studio. I will fight you. Blake Snyder will fight you um, and argue with you. But, you know, if you find something that he doesn't have, he'll, he'll add it. Mm -hmm to this. I mean, this book is from 2005. And he has a whole series of books on this, on this topic. And, and the, the work that he has done looking into how to tell stories and, and creating the perfect beast and that formula for success is intriguing. Well, I think that any person reading it is going to just sop up like with a biscuit baby. No, just sort of just tighten up their life because they, they just recognize that everything works better when you follow the formula. That's it. And you can tell whatever story you want to, but the skeleton's there. Just hang the meat. There you go. That's intriguing. I, I am intrigued by that. Uh, I, I will have a, another discussion about a different part of writing next week, but yes, I am intrigued by Blake Snyder's save the cat. That was uh, Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need. It's from 2005 by Blake Snyder. Scroll with it. Which brings us to Scroll with it. Uh, let's it? start off with, uh, let's scare everybody, Steve. You know, the USA is retaliating. They're bombing targets in Iraq and Syria. Yeah. This is um, certainly, we have a, a wonderful military who has wonderful skills. Um, and there's some real challenges going on in the world. Why this is important is, Steve, you and I are fathers. That's right. And we've got young people. And while we certainly have a volunteer uh, military who is very, very skilled, and we absolutely support um, their efforts to protect um, the United States and, and our interests, the um, the real challenge is, is that, you know, there's a lot of wars going on in this world and we just need to be aware that um, our leadership in the united states many of them are much older and while they will say that over and over and over they have experience the reality is decisions are being made that will affect their world 
And it's just one of those areas that our election's coming up in November. Just be aware. Look at the age of our leadership and have that to be one of the things that you you, you think about as you're placing the, those votes. Because it's one thing to have a person with a very short life expectancy making decisions that will, once again, have an impact to our children for a long period of time. Agreed. So we also have a, a story here that, um, you know, we have ebbs and flow in education, right? Yeah. We have times where the things are pushed out there and everybody's like, I don't know the world that I live in. <laughs> and then there's the time they're like, we need to get back to the basics. This is it a seems like very common refrain in education all the time. We are constantly going back and forth. It seems like we're getting back to the back to the basics at this point. Absolutely. So, you know, during our children's youth, and, and they're young adults right now, you know, they went from textbooks to reading off a computer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're starting to have some some information on that. Yeah. And some decisions will be made. Questioning the validity of that piece of education right now. Is it the best interest of our students to be stuck to a screen is a huge question. Sure. And so I pulled out this uh, article from the Wall Street Journal. It was talking about Oklahoma um, and a little bit about uh, this science teacher who was um, appointed by the governor to take over education. And he has chosen to um, certainly become much more, and using the word conservative, move back to the basics. Reading, writing, arithmetic, civics, things of that nature, um, these areas seem to be missing uh, in some of our education right now. And also looking at recruiting teachers, They're, they were talking about up to $50,000 to be recruiting as for bonuses because, you know, teachers tend to be, um, in many states, very modest as far as how they're compensated compared to, you know, what you could make maybe out in, in the, the other part of the world. Anyway, I, I just, it's just one of those areas to, to follow and to think about. And if you want to read more about it, we've got it in our notes. Yeah, it's always always interesting to think about how we are thinking about education. It's kind of what I do all day long. Yeah, there's some good news, or at least some tests going on in Germany that could impact a lot of people, Steve. Um, have you ever thought about having a shorter work week? There's been a lot of discussion of that, especially since the pandemic. So there's an organization that's called Four Day Work Week Global. And uh, they are test marketing, doing a little test in Germany, which the Germans, of course, will pass with uh, flying colors, Steve. They're very efficient there. Um, they are uh, looking at being able to be as productive as a five-day work week in four days. That's... And we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Based on the weeks in school that we have four days instead of five, it is very stressful to try to squeeze in all of that material into a four-day bucket. Well, you know what that means if it was in the United States, Steve. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah we'd all have two jobs. That's what it. That's what it, <laughs> we'd be like the skit from uh, In Living Color. How many jobs you have? <laughs> I've got twelve jobs. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Probably not what's going to happen in Germany, but it's good to keep an eye on that for sure. Steve, there's a holiday, or is it, or is it a holy day? Happy uh, coming up this coming Sunday. Happy Super Bowl, everybody! It is Super Bowl Sunday coming up this Sunday, February 11th. 
the uh, the staff of Too Much Scrolling wishes you a happy Super Bowl. <laughs> may may your chicken wings and pizzas and hoagies be uh, super special, Steve. So the, it's all the, the foods. First school on Monday morning. Yeah, great. <laughs> I still say they should move this to Saturday. This is a holiday. Let let's celebrate. That would uh, you know somehow uh, impact the Sabbath, Steve. Um, it's Super Bowl Fifty Eight. Um, that's as this is so that we can learn all our Roman numerals, Steve. <laughs> that keeps those Roman numerals uh, there. They always spell it in Roman numerals. Our two teams this uh, week are the San Francisco 49ers and Taylor Swift's favorite team, the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going for the team that's SF, by the way, the SF team. Oh, really? The Steve Foder team. Um, I just want to mention there's going to be the quarterback, Mahomes, and of course, his uh, partner, Ma'ata. Ma- uh, is going to be there. My home's in my auto. <laughs> in my backyard. As as we celebrate uh, Illinois uh, company State Farm and their uh, their advertising <laughs> campaigns with my home and Megato. <laughs> this is taking place at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada this year. So that's uh, that's critical to the conversation about gambling that we've been having for the last year and a half. Yeah, something's going to go wrong there, Steve. All that gambling. All right. So, if we think about how the where the Super Bowls have taken place, they've taken place at the new um, stadium from in Los Angeles, the the incredible Los Angeles Rams Stadium. They're taking place in the Las Vegas Nevada Stadium, which is where the Oakland Raiders moved from to become the Las Vegas Raiders. And why this is important is because Chicago on their lakefront are looking at building their new stadium. They're kind of moving from Arlington Heights, uh, Illinois, where they were looking to move from Soldier Field to building out uh, on the lakefront. And um, that means Chicago could be possibly, yeah, a cold, cold <laughs> Chicago could, could possibly get a Super Bowl. They should have put a dome on Soldier Field 30 years ago. And and the fact that they didn't, they said, no, 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 this is Chicago weather. It it, let, it lends to not having a, a celebration like the Super Bowl here. Well, with the White Sox also looking to replace their stadium, um, you know, does Soldier Field become an opportunity to repurpose mm-hmm. this monument. It is a monument, by the way, right. to a baseball field, or do they build a separate facility, I guess, part yeah. next to, um, you know, where the bears are building their stadium. I don't know. It just seems very fascinating. The Super Bowl, though, is this coming weekend. It is a holiday for all intents and purposes. And Monday should be off, too, because, you know, it's Super Bowl Monday, yeah. where everybody recovers from all those chicken wing stadiums. That's right. I I look forward to hearing all about all of my students and all my friends watching all of this celebration. Well, something we should mention, I, I'm so sorry we didn't before, was that commercials are part of the Super Bowl they're usually very expensive commercials with you know, a lot of humor and a lot of uh, stuff going on. This week, we're going to have something a little bit different. Yeah, FanDuel has one of those expensive commercials that they created months ago. And uh, the the passing of Carl Weathers this week has changed their plan for that. He is featured in a FanDuel commercial with Ron Gronkowski, and they are going to give tribute to Carl Weathers during that commercial time, spending that money to get more 
more money. They are going to give honor to Carl Weathers. I look forward to the stories that come out of that. Hey, Steve, this October, where should our fans find too much scrolling? Where are we going to be in October? I will tell you, sir. Kevin Smith announced this week that the Kevin Smith, not our Kevin Smith, the Kevin Smith announced this week that he is putting on his own convention here in Chicago at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. This is going to be Chronic Con, the false, fake, fictional convention from Jay and Silent Bob. And now it is going to be a real thing right here in Chicago. I, I'm a little bit excited, Chip. It's going to be at the Hyatt Regency. Um, it's going to be in October. We will be there representing, repping the too much scrolling swag. Boy, oh boy, am I, I I've already put out uh email to all of my friends telling them that they are welcome to join me here in Chicago for this. And I'm I look forward to how many people are gonna be there for this. Kevin Smith, the voice of Gen X for me, and is just going to make me happy in October. Snitchy bitches. <laughs> Love it. I got, I got the whole, I got the whole shaggy voice. I how can I, how can I not rep for chronic con? Oh, zoinks. There's this convenience store nearby. <laughs> I don't know, chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve, maybe you'll bring your voice. Yeah, I'll bring my voice. I, I'll pack it. It's in, I lost it. My uh, carry on on the plane. Sorry. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias. We're on Spotify and Apple podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of too much scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to too much scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. Uh, that's mine, Steve Fodor. And mine, Chip Hassenfloy, Steve. We'll see you in the future. Zoinks! A bunch of French clowns we are. In a black and white avant-garde, people getting eaten movie. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>